0: After all that suspense, I'm adding hello, lovely <laughs> to meet you guys, um, and today we are reading Romans 7, verse 1 to 25, so there's something inside of your little leaflet. Alright. Or do you not know brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly... She will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. dead. But now we are released from the law, having died to which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to cover if the law had not said, you shall not cover. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For And through the commandment it might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, love the sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I, I who do what so it is no longer I who do it, sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I the desire to do what is right, not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. If I do what I do not want, it is, not, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being.
1: Will you take Harry to be your lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until you are parted by death? What words should Megan answer to you? Together, I do. <laughs> yeah. There were two words you used there, most of you think, I think said, I do, some of you said, I will, which one do you think, who said I do, put up your yeah. hand, we've got to be honest people here, You might be in a Christian meeting, okay, right up in the air, not, not right the air. <laughs> okay, who thinks it's I will, yeah, okay, so the do's have it, but the do's are wrong. wrong, 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 wrong you're going to get married, you're not going to say, I do, you've got to say, I will, because anybody can say, I do, because that's the best looking you'll ever be on your wedding day, it's all downhill from there, but the I will is, I'm going to keep on doing this and doing this and doing this until I'm parted by death, that's why I will do it, it's not I do for now. If this is your first week here, welcome, I'm so glad that you're here with us. What we are working through is a book of the Bible called Romans in the new testament and because it is god's word because god has actually spoken to us in the bible i'm seeking to teach it and it's a spiritual activity it really is it's a supernatural thing that we are encountering when we hear god's word read and taught and so i'm going to ask god to help me do this supernaturally by praying because it's not a just thing It's not just talking to God. This is the most incredible thing, to meet God in his word and to speak to him. So will you join with me for a few moments if you are the praying kind? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that we can meet at this time to speak to you as the God of all the earth and to know that you have given us and all access passed into your mind, as it were, as you have revealed it in your word, the Bible. And we pray now that you'll please so speak to us that we will change as a result of this encounter. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Back at the very beginning of this, letter that we're working through for the book of Romans, you would have read these words coming up on the screen. The fellow who wrote it was a man named Paul, an apostle. And he writes about his purpose, or his role as an apostle. He writes, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to Note, belong to Jesus Christ. That is, part of his purpose as an apostle was to go to the nations, tell them about Jesus, proclaim this news about Jesus, which is the most incredible news in all the world. A news that changes people, a news that brings about obedience in people. But it comes about because they are called to, note, belong to Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to our text today, let's go to the next backside, Adam, and you can take a seat elsewhere if you would like. Up <laughs> to you. As we come to our text here in chapter 7, we start to understand our relationship to the law in light of this purpose of the Apostle Paul. And he's saying it's a bit like marriage. See, so if you come back to the beginning, have a look in your outlines, chapter 7, verse 1, he says. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. In other words, if Harry dies before Meghan, she is free from the law of marriage and is free to marry someone else. I don't know whether it will be another royal person, but she's free to marry anybody else, as it were. She's free from the law. And this is just like our relationship with God, as it were, through his law. It's our our relationship with the Old Testament law. Look at verse 4, right? Regarding God's law, we read these words. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to No, belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Right, now we belong to another. Remember, we were called to belong to Jesus. And he's saying, we are called to belong to Jesus. We belong to another. If you were here last week, you may recall in Romans chapter 6 that Christians are somehow united to Jesus. What happened to Jesus happened to us. I use that silly plane analogy, but it's not that silly because it was someone else's illustration, which I pinched, and he's a very esteemed brother. But the idea is that if I'm in the plane, whatever happens to the plane happens to me. Likewise, if I'm a Christian, if I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, and only if I've done that, it's not because I'm a good person, it's not because I'm baptised, it's not because I'm religious in any sense, it's only because I put my trust in Jesus if i've done that and he really is lord and savior of my life then what happened to him happened to me when he died i died when he rose again i rose again and all the benefits of his death and resurrection are applied to me if i put my trust in jesus alone to save me from the anger of god that i deserve and so now i belong Not to the Old Testament law, but to Jesus. Because, like a marriage relationship, I've died in Christ. I'm no longer married to the lawyers. I don't belong to the I belong to Jesus. And as a church, we belong to Jesus as our husband, as it were. We're called to belong to Jesus and bear the fruit of obedience. The obedience of faith that Paul sees his apostleship is all about amongst the nations. So Paul is in fact saying that unless we are released from the Old Testament law, we cannot bear this fruit of obedience for God. So we read in verse 5, look at verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. You see what he's saying there? He's actually saying this. God has to take from us the external work of the written code, the Old Testament law, and put into our hearts his spirit. Come back again to verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That is, he empowers the powerless to live a fruitful life of obedience to which the law points. But only God's Spirit can do that in us. Not the law. Only God's Spirit can do that in us. Now, if that's the case, then how are we to live? Well, you might recall the law of Moses The law of Moses, at the heart of it, had the Ten Commandments. And we all know something of the Ten Commandments. Even if you haven't read the Bible, I'm sure you've heard something of the Ten Commandments, something like, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, honour your father and mother. We've all heard some of that, haven't we, before? We've heard other laws from the Bible, like, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And principles from these laws have influenced Entire civilizations, including our civilization. As much as we deny it, it's just the case. It's affected and influenced our civilization. And it was the special possession of the Jewish people of God. So is Paul suggesting that the law is not good when he says you have to die for the law and live in the way of the Spirit? Is he anti law? Is he anti Nomian? Ooh, that's a fat word, isn't it? <laughs> Nomos is the word for law. Right. So anti-nomos is anti-law. I only give you that word because you might read it in a Christian book somewhere. They say anti the whoa, big thing. It just means anti-law, right? So was he an antinomian? Did he actually say something against the law? Indeed, indeed. that's what he's almost positing, isn't he? In, in verse 7. He says, What then shall we say? It? That the law is sin? Is he anti-law? Is he saying the law is bad if you've got to die to the law in order to do good works? What does he say? By no means. Heck no. Remember that J.B. Phillips version from last week? What a ghastly thought. He goes on to say, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Paul is not saying that law is bad, he's not antinomian, no, he's saying the law is good because it diagnoses my sin, it diagnoses my sin, the law is good. The law is like a good doctor. You know, I feel some abdominal pain in my lower right quadrant, and the, and the doctor diagnoses it as, what would they diagnose it as, anybody? appendicitis, see, even a non-doctor from England can tell us that it is appendicitis as a possibility. And he's, he's not even trained as a medical doctor, but, you see, he's got this. It's, it, the law is like that, you see. It, it, it's like that. He, 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 he diagnosed, the law diagnoses. and said, so the law diagnoses my greed and your greed as covetousness. It diagnoses. It's good. It's good diagnosis. So what's the problem? If the law is good, then what's the problem? Look at verse 8. Verse 8. But sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. You see, God's law is not sinful. Sin is sinful. Not the law. Sin is the culprit. I had a friend some years ago walking onto a train, and you can tell it's some years ago because the sign inside the train said, don't spit. You ever seen a sign like that? My friend walked, it must have been last century at least, hey? He walked on, the sign says, don't spit. He saw the sign and immediately what happened? His salivary glands started going overdrive at that time. Why would your salivary glands go overtime? Because of the sign that says don't spit. You never thought of spitting on the train until you actually see a sign on the train that says don't spit, do you? Do you know, there's another sign at the University of New South Wales behind toilets that says, don't squat. (laughs) Now, there is a reason for that. But for those who have never entertained the thought of squatting, the moment they saw the sign, they thought, I wonder what this is going to be. (laughs) Why? Because of the law. You see, what's the problem? Is it the sign? Is it the law? No, it's sin inside of me, isn't it? It's, it's what's inside of me. What was the sinful thing? It's my actions, not the law. So the problem is not the law of God. Look at verse 12. He just pounded. home. For we know the law is, ah, sorry, verse 12, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. See, the law is good. But here we come to the, the valid question then. Verse 13, did that, says so the law, which is good, then bring death to me? And by no means, right? It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That is, one more time for the dummy, <laughs> that's me, and maybe you. It's not the law that's the problem. It's me. The law is God's good doctor, God's good diagnostic tool that identifies the disease of sin. Again, back in Romans chapter 6, if you were here with us last week, we learned that the rule of sin and the penalty of sin is broken. But what is not broken is the presence of sin. It's in me. It's still an anomaly to live sinfully, if I'm united to Christ. But the presence of sin is still there. It's in my members. See, sin is the disease of living in our own lives, our own way, without God. And like all diseases, it gives rise to symptoms like lies and adultery and pornography, greed, malice, utter selfishness. Those things are the symptoms of the disease, which is not wanting to live God's way. I have a friend by the name of Joe Radkovic, who some of us know. He's the pastor of the particular church I attend. He used to be a missionary in um, Kenya. No, no. Is it Kenya? It was Kenya, wasn't it? Yeah, Kenya in Africa. And he caught a bug called Bilhazia. And if you know anything about Bilhazia, it's not the funnest bug to have. And it, for him, it had uh, led to symptoms like unbearable chills and sweats. I'll come back to this a little later, but he had a blood test, you see, and the blood test was the diagnostic tool that diagnosed the bilharzia. So sin is the bilharzia, but the symptoms, the chills, the sweats, well, that's greed, that's porn, that's adultery. You see the problem or oh, the difference? There's the disease, not wanting to live with Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and there are the symptoms. But you want to deal with the disease in order to deal with the symptoms. What Paul goes on to describe in the rest of chapter 7 is, well, the symptoms, as it were, that are diagnosed by the law, and indeed, the sin as well. In fact, he calls the disease, the bilhazian, the sin, the flesh. The flesh. I'm going to read a whole section now, which is in your outline. And as I read this section, you will hear how he talks about the flesh. But I want to ask you these questions as you hear me read it out to you. And then I'm going to invite you to consider. Is uh, Paul is using the word I in these verses, that pronoun I. And when he uses the pronoun I, is Paul speaking about himself as the apostle? Or is Paul identifying as an unbeliever? Or is Paul identifying as someone else altogether, like Adam or Israel? You get the question? Is Paul identifying as himself when he says I? Is he identifying as an unbeliever? Or is he identifying as someone else altogether, like Adam or Israel? Let me read to you these verses and just have that question in your mind because it's one where a lot of people, including myself, and I must say I've wrestled with this for a little while, are thinking through what is going on. Verse 14 and following. Follow it with me. small number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, who is Paul talking about? Himself as the apostle? Is he identifying with an unbeliever? Or is he identifying with someone else, like Adam or Israel? Why don't you spend 30 seconds with the person next to you to discuss that question? What do you think? Go for it. Okay. I'm being very generous to you. You know that I've given you more than thirty seconds. So I'd, I'd love to know. So is anybody anybody on on this half of the room willing to just share just a thought, a possibility as to who it is that he's identifying with? Anybody? I know you've talked. <laughs> anybody on this side willing to share anything? Yes, go down.
2: Right. Okay. Thank you. That's really helpful, Daniel. So
1: did other people do that? So last week in chapter six, he says we're no longer under sin. Here he says we're sold under slavery. So it sounds as if it's Paul identifying someone before he was a Christian. So he's identifying with an unbeliever, even though he's speaking or writing as the Apostle Paul at this point in time. Okay, yeah. Were you going to say something to that? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I, look, I think that he's speaking himself as the Apostle. As the Apostle? Because he says, um, I have a desire to do what is right, um, and not, he doesn't want to do what is evil. Right, and yes. so if
1: he, before he was saved, would have you known what the right thing to do was. He would not want to do anything. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's and <laughs> so oh, it's the debate, isn't it? So Danielle is saying uh, she can see that he has a desire to do what is right, and surely you wouldn't have a desire to do what is right if you weren't saved as well. You can see that both points are true, aren't they? They're in the in the text. Okay, one last time here. Hands up if you think it's Paul speaking as an unbeliever or before he was a Christian. Hands up. Straight in the air. None of this. Ah, right. Okay, so Okay. Those of you who think he's speaking as a believer. As a believer. Okay. That's the majority are saying he's a believer. But let me ask you Daniel's question, though. If he's a believer, how can he be sold under Satan? Because chapter 6 says he wasn't sold under Satan. Yeah, you got, you got a thought there, Justin. Is it in a sense like... This might be a bit bad but Is it liar. Like, there's two balls. There's two balls. Oh, yeah, we are talking about yeah we got we got <laughs> <anything out. laughs> yeah, you? on multiple I earlier in the passage, sort of six and seven, he's kind of talking about the past tense. Uh, so, <coughs> while we were living in the flesh, our sins, our sins, But now we're raised from the law and died. For um, I would not. And what it is to cover, and shall not yeah, yeah, okay, Uses so have seen us- the past tense. Yeah, yeah, And then coming into his, I am a but I am the flesh, shall so I the sin. Because he's speaking of, yes, himself, the flesh, and himself made new by the spirit. Yeah. He doesn't really understand his own choices because the spirit is what brings about. Yeah, thanks. That. Yeah. That's so uh, two Paul's himself without the spirit, himself with the spirit, as it were, is there two Pauls going on? Let's let's work through the passion and see what we can work out. That's very helpful, guys. Uh, you see, you're all you're all on the money in different ways, if I can put it that way. Uh, and not that I'm a betting man, because I'm not of the flesh. I hope but we are flesh. But anyway, who are we? We're going to work with Paul. Let's start with Paul. Now, uh, come back to chapter seven, verse six. I want to pick up where Justin pointed out. Very good. Book. Chapter seven, verse six, where he says, "But now we are released from the Lord, having died to that which held us captive." So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So the only way we can serve today is by the power of his spirit and not in the old way of the Old Testament law that used to hold us captive. Okay? That's clear. It's got to be the Spirit involved. Now, having reached this point in chapter 7, verse 6, Paul could have gone straight on to chapter 8, actually, if you think about it. Because in chapter 8, verse 1. And following, he talks about the way of the Spirit in the life of the believer. He could have done that, but instead, he has the rest of chapter 7 to actually work through. Because he knew that his insistence on being released from the law would provoke his Jewish readers in particular, who hold such high esteem, and we should as well, of the Old Testament law. So he anticipated their objections. Is the law sin? No. Did God's good law bring about death to me? No. And so the rest of chapter 7 explains the problem is not the Old Testament law, rather the problem is himself without the spirit. Well, that's true, the problem is himself without the spirit. The problem is the flesh, and the rest of this section explains what his own life under the law is like without the spirit, because there's no mention of the spirit in the rest of chapter 7. So if you like, it's to combine all those three thoughts as it were, which were all in the money, is that Paul is actually speaking about himself as the Apostle without the Spirit. Now how does that work? Now technically what does that mean? It's kind of all those things, but it's, it's, it's quite complex, I think. But I think that's right. So the key, the key I think, and this is where I'm very reliant on a particular commentary of a man named Will Timmons. You might want to write that down, Will Timmons. I'm sure if you write Romans 7 and Will Timmons you can find something. Uh, and this has been the most persuasive uh, argument I've come across. Verse 14, verse 14, chapter 7, we read these words. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Now, who's the we in verse 14? It's you, Christians in Rome, and I, the Apostle Paul. We together know that the law is spiritual, right? He says the law is good and all the rest of it. But I, I, the Apostle Paul, am of the flesh, sold under sin. You see what he's saying? In other words, his state of being sold under sin is what he refers to as fleshliness without the spirit without the spirit that's the key thing to be fleshly without the spirit is to be intrinsically incapable of keeping god's good law even for the apostle paul if he hasn't got the spirit so it's almost a hypothetical as it were but he's trying to draw out the implications of what life would be like without the spirit Even if you get that the law is good, even if you get that this is a good thing to do, without the Spirit, you can't bear fruit for God. The law is good. So he's identifying as the Apostle Paul, as it were, without the Spirit. To be fleshly without the Spirit is to be incapable of keeping God's good law, even for the Apostle Paul. He is sharing with us what kind of condition he and all of us would be if we do not have God's Spirit. And all we have is our own fleshliness. See, without God's Spirit, we remain impaired people, irreparably impaired people. Even the good I want to do, I cannot do if I do not have the Spirit of God. You know, when my friend Joe Ratnevick, to come back to him, had his Bilhazia virus. He had chills that incapacitated him so much so that he couldn't do anything to relieve them. He had blankets. He had a hairdryer blowing over him. He had children lying on top of the blanket over him to try and keep him warm. But he couldn't, couldn't get rid of those chills until the Belhazir itself was dealt with. Do you see? It's like that with sin. We can't get rid of the fleshliness Unless the spirit is there at work, battling the fleshiness, Without God's spirit, we cannot bear fruit for God. And that makes complete sense, doesn't it, of the rest of the chapter in verse 21 and, and following. Have a look at verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God as the apostle in my inner being, but I see in my members... Another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, without the Spirit, I'm so wretched. I can't do anything about it. I just can't. Whatever our view is on the identity of the I, what is clear is that the law is righteous. But the Lord does not have the power to make us righteous. Only the Spirit can help us to live in line with the righteousness that has been given to me in Christ Jesus. Living under the law is a hopeless struggle. We're right to look to the law for guidance, but we're wrong to look for it for saving power. The law does not declare us right with God. Only God can declare us right with himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Lord does not enable us to live righteous lives. Only God can, by his Spirit, through our union with him. And more of that as we come to our last week, next week in chapter 8. So you see what Paul's doing here? He's sharing his personal awareness of the power of indwelling sin, the flesh, fleshliness experienced a simple desire, Paul does not yet have in view the Spirit's enabling, because he wants us to first grasp our own profound inability without the Spirit. And this simple desire is with us till the day we die. There's a story of a British newspaper that sent out an inquiry to famous authors, asking the question, what's wrong with the world? One famous author by the name of G.K. Chesterton, and you might have heard his name, G.K. Chesterton responded to this newspaper question. Dear sir, the question was, what's wrong with the world? He wrote, dear sir, yours, G.K. Chesterton. (laughs) That's effectively what Paul's saying here. You want to know what's wrong with the world, but it's not the law, and it's not my view of the law. That's beyond reproach. The problem is me. I'm the problem. You're the problem. We're all the problem. We know what it's like. We know it's true of experience, don't we? Even a little law like, don't spit. But we know that given the opportunity, if it's not constrained by a supernatural force within us, we'll just be out there sitting like crazy. Do you, like me, identify with Paul regarding your fleshly state? Are there not regular moments in our lives that we feel trapped by our simple thoughts, or our simple deeds, or our simple words, that we just find impossible to break free from? I speak to a number of fellows about Paul. They're Christians. They're really seeking to live a godly life. But I know it's not just focus on fellows. I know that my dear sisters can struggle with this too. But they keep on saying it's, it's just so hard. It feels like a trap. And they'll go for a few weeks and then fall. And then, a few, and then anything like months is, is great. But then they'll fall. And it's just up and down. But, but it's not just porn, is it? And that's just an easy target. But it's all sorts of things, just thoughts about money or how I use that money or or just sheer selfishness. I want to do this because it's going to make me better off as opposed to him or her better off. It's just so within our members and we know what that's like. And in these times, you do want to pray out with the Apostle Paul when he says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But here's the hope in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Yes, there is the flesh within me, but there is Jesus Christ to whom... I serve, to whom I'm united. And when I get what it means to be united to Christ, then I can see that his spirit can work within me to enable me to battle the flesh and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. But more of that in chapter 8, and you'll see, and I hope you'll read on without me. In fact, it would be great if you read on without me, and then see whether what I say of chapter 8 matches with what you're reading is. See, knowing our fleshly state means that we can only look beyond ourselves to the one that the Lord points to, namely Jesus and his spirit, to save us from sin and our fleshly desires. And if you can identify with Paul's experience, then the only place we can turn to is our Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his spirit to bear fruit of loving obedience. But whatever we're going through, we can have Jesus, Jesus to have and to hold from this day forward. And by his spirit, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, forsaking all others, but we won't be parted from Jesus by death because we're united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. And that's better than a human marriage, isn't it? Because the ultimate marriage between Jesus and his people is what human marriage is point to. Well, I hope you can join me next week to see what else we can do by the power of God's Spirit. But let's pray. We thank you, dear Father, for showing us what our fleshly state is like without your Spirit. And We thank you that your good law can point out how it is. That our flesh seeks to express itself. And we pray, Father, that you will please, firstly, save those of us who yet do not know you as Lord and Savior. For those of us who do, help us to walk in step with your Spirit and joyfully live for you, knowing that we can thank you for Jesus your
2: Son, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Hey, I'm Jake. I'm a first year engineering student Mm -hmm. and I have the privilege of praying for us today. So, praying is how we talk to God and how we can show our faith in God. Uh, So if you agree with what I say, you can say, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and all your blessings. We often take for granted how good we have it here in Australia, and especially in New England. So we thank you and praise you now for providing us with food, water, shelter, and a beautiful country live in. Thank you for how much you have blessed us with the union of and we pray that you will look after our members as assignments and exams and treats. We pray that we won't get too stressed and that we will work hard and do the best we possibly can. We also pray that during this time, we will not stop meeting together as a group to praise your name. God, we pray for the University Fellowship of Christians group in Hobart, and we praise you for raising up willing students who have been elected for next year's executive. We pray that they will have wisdom and leadership, servant hearts, and a prayerful attitude towards dependence on God throughout the coming year. We pray now for the Fulani people of Western Niger, where there are only 0.02% Christians and only 0.01% evangelical Christians. The Fulani people are very attached to their traditional culture and religion of Islam, which makes it increasingly difficult to preach the gospel as it is very different from their culture. We pray that you will raise up Christians in this area who are willing to share the gospel with people even, even at high risks. We pray also for the farmers at worst in the drought, that you will send rain for them. We pray that the Christian farmers will not waver from their trust in God, but will persevere in this tough time. Thank you most of all, God, for sending your son Jesus down to earth to take the punishment we deserve on the cross, and that through him we can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name.